Good evening and welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. I do apologize for last week's message being repeated. Sometimes uh, that happens and it's unavoidable. But this week we're talking about unity out of adversity part two. And as you probably remember, we were talking about the Boston Harbor being taxed on the tea from England, which caused a great, great uproar. But out of that adversity came great unity. And the unity was brought about by a prayer that the Holy Spirit inspired the good Reverend Duche to pray a prayer that I wish I could have listened to that because John Adams said it was, he had to confess he had never heard a better prayer. And the Connecticut delegate Silas Dean said it was worth riding a hundred miles to hear that prayer. So it must have been some prayer that the Holy Spirit really put on the heart of the Reverend. The point being that it was the clergyman. It was, it was the clergy. It was the Holy Spirit who brought about that unity. Now, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, it bears repeating. It's about unity. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul's talking to you and I, if you're a believer, with all lowliness, humility, and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is an uh, imperative for you and I as believers. That's an imperative that we have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace binding us together through that peace. And it can only be done in humility. And it can only be done with gentleness and patience and really bearing with one another in love. Paul says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I wonder how many times in the body we happen to forget those scriptures. Because there's many denominations. But there's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism one God, and one Father of all. And he is above all, and he is through all, and he is in every one of us if we are believers in Jesus Christ. So you have to shake your head and say, how is it that the body can be so disunified? How is it that the American church is not walking in the unity of the scriptures, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring 
I like that word, endeavoring, meaning to do everything possible to keep the unity of the Spirit. That's so important. And it was so important to the men back then, and it had a profound effect on these men who did not think in the least that there would be any way that they could come together, but here an Episcopalian preacher did it with the help of the Holy Spirit, and there was such unity among these men. God hates division. He is all about unity. Proverbs 6 is worth looking at. I'm going to read to you out of the New King James Version. But this is Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. And, and as I was looking over these scriptures, I thought, wow, how appropriate to where we are in our society here in America. So the scripture reads, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him, an abomination to him. These things are an abomination to the Lord, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Now, we have just experienced the Supreme Court the end of June declaring Roe v. Wade dead. That doesn't mean that abortion can't still occur. It just means that now the federal government cannot dictate that. It'll be left to the states. Nevertheless, 70 million babies later, here we are, hands that shed innocent blood. It's an abomination to the Lord. A heart, a heart that devises wicked plans. It, it seems like the government that's currently in charge of our country it's like they devise wicked plans daily, like it, it, they come up with a new wicked plan, and it's just amazing. Feet that are swift and running to evil. In other words, people who are just so quick to do something evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Well, there are so many gover government officials that have gone before Congress and they lie through their teeth. They are a false witness. Many, many false witnesses. And lastly, anyone who sows discord among the brethren. So those are six things the Lord hates. Yes, even the seventh is an abomination to him. These are things that do not please the Lord. And we have to be cognizant of this. We have to pay attention to this because there are times when we, you know, pride is so evil and it's so sneaky. I mean, I've had a proud look before. I bet you have. I've had a lying tongue. Like a little white lie. But a white lie is a lie. So we have to be very, very careful because these things, some seem small, others are big deals. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that's devising wicked plans, 
feet that are running swift to uh, evil, a false witness who speaks lies. I mean, wow, God says these are things I hate and they are an abomination. So we have to get serious about this gospel because it is real. And we are living in a time where we've got to get we've got to get it on with the word of God. We've got to get in this word. The Holy Spirit is all about unity. And as I said, we have people in our government, including leadership in our government, that are sowing discord, that are sowing division. And the whole Marxist socialist agenda that has permeated almost every part of our society. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like a, a flower that's been closed up like a rose, and then all of a sudden it opens, and you see all the inside and the beautiful beauty of the rose and all the petals. And it's like all of a sudden this COVID thing has exposed this horrible agenda in our school system, in our colleges, in our government in businesses, in the church. And so, whoa, this whole agenda, it has a strategy. And that strategy is to sow discord, to to bring about division. The game plan for that is really simple, really simple. You watch how that agenda is pitting black Americans against white Americans. The whole white supremacy thing, the whole woke thing, the whole uh, 1619 project. That is all part of the Marxist plan. And it is sad to watch the race baiters and the black Americans who have fallen for this agenda. And even Many black pastors and white pastors have swallowed the Kool-Aid. And for whatever reason, they cannot see the schemes of the enemy. This is a scheme of hell. Guys, wake up. This is a scheme of hell to sow hatred and discord. This is not of God. It cannot be of God. And that's one of the reasons the 1619 Project is so evil, sowing discord, sowing hatred. That's not Christian. How can a pastor support that? How can a church believe in that? You see, the Boston Tea tax situation brought such adversity. But there was incredible unity that followed. We often see very adverse events bring about unity. I recently read a story that really broke my heart. A family farm in Minerva, Ohio. This was a dairy farm, three generations of dairy farmers, and a fire started and burned down three barns and many calves. The community was called to come help fight the fire, 
help with the cows, get the cows out, try to save as many calves as possible. And in the end, even though all the barns burned, the community of a hundred people came. The hundred people came to support this family, to support their friend, to bring help in the time of need. And that's what happens when there is something very adverse. Often there is great unity that comes. So we want to see unity in our communities. We want to see unity in our nation. Now, who can bring about that unity? I'll give you one word, the clergy. The primary force or catalyst for the miracle of unity in the Boston Tea Tax Party situation and mutual support among the colonies were the preachers of the era. Jedediah Morris writes in his Annals of the American Revolution, he says the prayers and public discourses of the clergy who were friends to their country, and there were few who were not, breathed the support and spirit of patriotism. And as their piety and integrity had generally secured to them the confidence of the people, they had great influence and success in, in encouraging them to engage in its defense. In this way, that class of citizens aided the cause of their country and to their pious exertions under the great arbiter of human affairs has been justly ascribed no inconsiderable share of the success and victory that crowned the American arms. So in other words, the pastors, the clergy, had the confidence of the people, and they had great influence over the people, and they had great success in encouraging the people to engage in the defense of the country. Now, speaking again about the black-robed regiment, it really bears me repeating a little bit, and what I'm going to share is something I haven't shared it before, the war effort was blessed with the inspirational leadership of the colonial clergy. Now, we, we know that. And the British called them the black-robed regiment in reference to the color of their pulpit gowns that they wore even on the battlefront. Can you imagine trying to, I don't know, I don't know how you wear a black robe and you go on the battlefield. But one month after the Battle of Lexington, Reverend Samuel Langdon, president of Harvard, preached an election sermon to the leaders of Massachusetts entitled, Government Corrupted by Vice and Recovered by Righteousness. Oh, I must stop there and make a comment because today, today, 2022, A, you could never have a minister be the president of Harvard. Now that's pretty incredible. We have a reverend who is the president of Harvard. Number two, you couldn't have a president of Harvard preaching a sermon. That would never be allowed at Harvard today because Harvard has become, even though it was founded by John Harvard, who was a clergyman, it is as far from religion as you can get. 
You might as well call it the most atheist school in the country. Anyway, Reverend Langdon said this, Vice will increase with the riches and glory of an empire. And this generally tends to corrupt the Constitution and, in time, bring on its disillusion. Hmm. This may be considered not only as the natural effect of vice, but a religious judgment from heaven, especially upon a nation which has been favored with the blessings of religion and liberty and is guilty of undervaluing them. Do you think, do you think that what he said is, it's like, we need to hear this. The church needs to hear what the Reverend Langdon said. Because this is exactly what's happening. Vice will increase with the riches and the glory of an empire. America has become the greatest power in the world and the richest country in the world. What will happen when that occurs? Vice will increase. And then what will happen? It generally generally tends to corrupt the Constitution. Hmm. And in time, bring its disillusion. And that's exactly what the Marxist socialist agenda wants to do. Dissolve the Constitution. And he goes on to say, he says, this may be considered not only as the natural effect of vice, in other words, a natural effect of being rich and becoming the most powerful, but but a religious judgment from heaven. Yeah, especially upon a nation which has been favored with the blessings of religion and liberty. Have we not been favored with the blessings of religion and liberty? And aren't we currently guilty of undervaluing all of that? Yes, and amen to that. I think this man's prophetic. Here's, here's the key thing. The reverend went on to call for repentance as well as action in faith that God had heard them to set up their banners and fight in the name of the Lord. What president of Harvard today would ever call for repentance? Langdon then personally, personally led them to the heights of Bunker Hill. Here is the good reverend leading them to the heights of Bunker Hill to begin their entrenchments for that historic battle. Shortly after the battle, Reverend Langdon felt called of God to devote himself full-time to ministering to the troops as their chaplain. I like this guy. He recorded in his journal the following, June 20th, 1775. This has been one of the most important and trying days of my life. I have taken leave of my people for the present and shall at once proceed to the American camp at Boston and offer my services as chaplain in their army. Ever since the Battle of Bunker Hill, my mind has been turned to this subject. God's servants are needed in the army to pray with it and for it. This is God's work, and his ministers should set an example that will convince the people that they believe it to be such. But the scene in the house of God today has tried me sorely. How silent, 
How solemn was the congregation, and when they sang the 61st Psalm, commencing, quote, when overwhelmed with grief, my heart within me dies, end quote. Sobs were heard in every part of the building. At the close, I was astonished to see Deacon S., now nearly 60 years of age, arise and address the congregation. Brethren, he said, our minister has acted right. This is God's cause. And as in days of old, the priests bore the ark into the midst of the battle. So they must do it now. We should be unworthy of the fathers and mothers who landed on Plymouth Rock if we do not cheerfully bear what providence shall put upon us in the great conflict now before us. I had two sons at Bunker Hill, and one of them, as you know, was slain. The other did his duty, and for the future God must do with him what seemeth him best. I offer him to liberty. I had thought that I would stay here with the church. But my minister is going, and I will shoulder my musket and go too. In this strain, he continued for some time, till the whole congregation was bathed in tears. O oh God, oh God must be with these people in the unequal struggle, or else how could they enter upon it with such solemnity and prayer? with such strong reliance on his assistance and such a profound sense of their need of it. Just before separating, the whole congregation joined in singing, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Folks, if that doesn't stir you, I, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, this man and this deacon, which he just named the letter S because he didn't apparently didn't want to put his name. I mean, this should motivate us. This should stir us to want to stand for liberty and the, for the cause of freedom for our nation. We are fighting a battle to save our nation. If you haven't figured that out yet, wake up, wake up, wake up. And let me just conclude with this. The Reverend Peter Mullenberg, and if you're not aware, in the U.S. Capitol building today, there stands a statue honoring one of the black regiment, and that is Reverend Peter Mullenberg. He became one of Washington, George Washington's primary brigadier generals in the Continental Army. And other clergymen followed his example and led in battle. And get this, Massachusetts was looking for the most effective way to promote the Declaration of Independence in their state. Large numbers of the Declaration were printed with the following addendum. Now listen carefully. Ordered, comma, that the Declaration of Independence be printed and a copy sent to the ministers of each parish of every denomination within this state and that they severally be required to read the same to their respective congregations as soon as divine service is ended. And after such publication thereof, to deliver the said declaration to the clerks 
of their several towns or districts, who are hereby required to record the same in their respective town or district books. That just astonishes me. John Quincy Adams said in a Fourth of July oration, as summarized by Thornton, he said, the highest glory of the American Revolution, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected one indissoluble bond, the principles of civil, civil government with the principles of Christianity. I have friends, minister friends, who do not want to get involved with government. They don't want to get involved in any of this. They want to just keep preaching revival, just keep preaching revival. There is nothing wrong with preaching revival, but we have to get a grip. We have to understand our history. These ministers were involved. They were so involved that they took up arms and they fought battles like the good Reverend Jonas Clark at Lexington and Concord, like Peter Muhlenberg, like Reverend Langston. And look, they wanted every minister to read the Declaration of Independence in their congregations. I, 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 I think, I think every minister in the United States needs to read the Declaration of Independence to their congregation. I just read it to you a couple weeks ago. And I found, I was astonished, to be honest, what was in there. And I was reading it just as to prove that the 1619 Project was a joke and was a lie but in reading the Declaration of Independence, I mean, it opened my eyes. If you haven't read the Declaration, you need to read the Declaration. And guess what? All the clergy of this great country need to read the Declaration of Independence. And the clergy need to be involved. And the clergy need to stand strong. And the clergy need to preach from the pulpit the truth of the gospel, period. Well, you can tell I'm a little excited about this subject because I am excited about this subject. And you should be excited about this subject. And every minister should be excited about this subject because we're trying to save our nation. Well, I will, I will bring that to an end for tonight. And I just thank you for listening to, to this message. So you can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this program again. You can go to your iHeartRadio app, go to the podcast Pure Heart Ministries and listen to it again. And I would love for you to send me an email at all lowercase dawn. D-A-W-N at pureheart.today. And I would hope that you would be encouraged to support this 
ministry financially, you can send that to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. And please don't forget to pray for this ministry. Well, I look forward to being with you next week. This is Don Noble saying, Shalom, Shalom, peace be unto you.